I'm not sure why I'm getting all the instructions today. <laughs> it is bad when you find out that you're almost older than the songs. <laughs> but it's great to see all of you guys here today, and to be able to worship God's always a great thing that we can do. And so even in unusual times and where everybody's got masks and hiding, and uh, it's always a great time to be able to worship God. I want to talk to you about cost of the kingdom today and what does that really mean? Um, trying to figure out how to get to where I'm supposed to be. See, can't even work the remote anymore. So when we're talking about the cost of the kingdom, one of the parables Jesus tells is about a pearl of great price. And usually when it talks about the kingdom, it talks about this kingdom as if it's worth a lot. It's a treasure in a field. It has all of this value. And so I think it's something we need to understand a little bit and and relate to. One of the most expensive things that people buy today is a house. I'm sure this looks just like the one that you live in. And you're going to spend a tremendous amount of money if you buy a house. Most people cannot buy a house outright. It's at least 300000 That's a lot of money to be able to spend on something. And so if you can't, you know, buy it all at once and just write a check or get pocket change... Uh, you're going to have to pay it over time. And so then it's like, you know, 1500 a month or something like that. It gets to be a lot. But then that's not all of it. You have to pay for the utilities. You have to pay for the light bulbs. You have to pay for the, somebody to cut the grass, unless you're going to buy the mower and cut the grass, or you're going to have to... And there's just all kinds of things that go along with that. There's all kinds of upkeep. You might have to paint. You might have to get the refrigerator and all the finances, get the decorations in, and and everything that your wife wants, just certain places in the house exactly the way it's supposed to be. And so it's not just the price of the house. It's the price of the house and all of this other stuff. And then when anything breaks, then you have to fix it. And then you have to paint it. And then there's always the insurance. You have to keep insurance on it because you don't... And it just gets to be this huge expense. Well, we're willing to do that. Why is that? We need a place to live. And so we understand the price. And it's going to be a very high price. When you go to buy a car, it might be an expensive car. It costs, what, 25000 to... Some of you have nicer cars, and so they're thirty, forty, fifty thousand. That's a lot of money, and so we expect that. We shop. We try to figure out exactly how much it's going to be. How much can we get a bargain for? But it's not just the car. For some reason, you got to put gas in it. And you've got to put tires on it, and you've got to change the oil in it, and then there's insurance in it. And so it's not just the price like that. It's, a, it's an ongoing, continuing price. And so it's not just like you buy it and it runs forever. No, there's the cost of maintenance. And so we see all of those things that happen. Well, what's the cost of Christianity? What is it that Christianity actually costs? Well, 
upfront cost. It cost Jesus his life. Well, what did it cost us? Well, it, it was free, right? It doesn't cost us anything. Jesus paid the debt for our sin, and we are the ones who it costs. Well, you showed up this morning, so it costs some time, it costs some energy. And even if you're online, you had to tune in online and try and fight the internet to get a good connection and all of those things. And so we understand that it takes a little bit of time and it takes a little bit of effort. And then it's every week and there's time to pray, there's time to read your Bible, there's time to talk to other people and, and do things for them. And so... When you start looking at the cost, it, it kind of gets to be a lot. Well, I want to share with you today what Jesus talks about when he talks about the cost. And if you thought the first one was bad, wait till you see what Jesus says. Because in Luke fourteen twenty five, here's what Jesus says about it. It says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Well, that's pretty severe, isn't it? When he starts talking about that and starts talking about the cost, it's like, wow. He's just told about the parable of the wedding feast and just told of the great banquet and how, you know, there are requirements to get into this great banquet and that people were found not being ready for the wedding feast, that they had kind of rejected him, not accepted the invitation that he had sent. And so Jesus comes and he kind of tries to lay out what the cost is because he's concerned about their dedication. And so he comes with whoever doesn't carry his own cross can't be my disciple. Well, that's, well, that's a tough one. That's, that's pretty extreme. And I don't know that he's literally saying you have to hate your family. Some of you are way ahead on that already, however, and you've got that part down. But I don't think he's really saying you're supposed to hate your family. Uh, it's a hyperbole. He's the same as, you know, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. He doesn't mean really pluck it out. He means quit looking. Stop looking at stuff that's going to cause you to sin. And so he's dealing with this in an extreme way. He's saying, here's the seriousness of this. Here's how I want you to take this. This is an extreme thing. And so I want you to know this. He says, you can't be my disciple without this kind of extreme dedication. And so I think that's important for us to see. He sets up this as the cost. The initial cost is going to be Jesus. But then how does this work out? How does all of this come together? And so he gives us a couple of examples here in, in Luke 14. Verse 28, he says, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. And so he gives us the example of a tower. I don't know how big a tower is you're thinking of. It's, 
it's got to be a big tower, right? And it takes a lot more to put up a tower than it does just a second story on a house. There's lots of scaffolding, lots of things that you have to do. There's got to be a big foundation for a tower like that. And so if you want to build a tower, you first should look and see if you can afford it. Can I afford to have a tower? And can I afford to complete the construction of this tower? You know, get all the way through it. Because like that, it's not much good. You're not going to sell space in a tower when it still looks like this. Uh, unless you've got some really good drawings and a really great price. I mean, and if it stays like this, you're not going to be able to get there. And so he's saying... Sometimes what happens to us is we don't finish what we start. Have you ever known somebody like that? Promised they would do something? Oh yeah, I'll take care of it. And then when it comes time, they, they didn't. And so everyone else is left holding the bag. It's like, well, you didn't finish what you said. And sometimes we start things and never finish, and it leaves us and everybody else in a mess. And Jesus said some people do that with Christianity. They start and they have all of this dedication for God. They're going to do everything. And they, they sign up for everything and they make pledges and promises. Oh yeah, we're going to do this every single time. And it isn't very long before they don't finish. For some reason it just falls away and it leaves a mess. So what is it you're building in your life? Well, it might be building salvation. Because there are certain things we do in order to build ourselves. Now, salvation comes from Jesus, but there are ways in which we would do that to build our Christian life. Or it might be that we are building the kingdom. Do we have enough to make a kingdom? Do we have enough to build this kingdom of God? Well, it's the cost of the building. But as you start looking at it, I'm not sure it's about the amount you have. Because actually, it looks like you never really quite have enough. We don't have enough to cover all the mistakes that we make. We don't have enough to cover all the sins that we have. We don't have enough to make ourselves good and right. We don't have enough strength or intelligence to be able to say, I will never make a mistake ever again. Because we know that's not going to be true. We know we can't possibly keep that. And so we don't ever have enough to complete it until we consider the blood of Jesus. And when we bring in the blood of Jesus into this building, our salvation, our building the kingdom for him then certainly we have enough because Jesus makes it enough. And so we count the cost with the blood of Jesus as we build our tower. And we have certainly enough for success and for blessing and forgiveness and for salvation. So how much would you give if you know that Jesus is there? If you know that he has grace, if you know that he's going to cover how much would you say is needed? Well, I think there's two answers. The first one is nothing, because after all, Jesus will cover it. 
why should I invest more of my time or effort or energy? Jesus is just going to forgive me anyway. Isn't that his job? Isn't that what he does? So, therefore, I would put in nothing. And the second answer is everything. I would put in everything because Jesus has invested so much because of the life that he's put in, because, and we see this happening with the early apostles. It's what they did. They met every single day as they were following and doing things with the church. They taught every day, and people came and listened to the apostles' teaching. And they were in each other's houses, and they were standing against the authorities of the Jewish rulers when they met. And they were teaching something that was against them, the fulfillment, the Messiah. He's come. He's already here. We've fulfilled that old law. And, boy, they sure didn't like that. They were sent out as missionaries, and they worshiped in opposition to other people. They gave it everything they had. And the kingdom grew. It wasn't just the church assembly. It was the kingdom that grew. And people believed when someone puts in that much, what happens. Well, Luke continues in this with another example for us. He says, Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, if any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So he talks about a king going to war. Well, how much does a war cost? Well, do you want it just to be a little war or a good war? Well, he has 10,000. That sounds like a big amount. And he, his enemy has 20,000. That doesn't sound like good odds. Do you think you can win? There's going to be a fight. Do you think you can win? And if you can't win, then you might as well not start. Because it's going to be bad. You're going to be defeated. There's going to be all kinds of things that happen against you. And so he says, you send a delegation to ask for terms of peace. So what do we battle in life? We don't always get to pick the battle. We've got a virus right now that we're trying to fight against and trying to fight against everyone being sick. And so... Maybe it's illness or disease, maybe it's the virus, maybe it's cancer, maybe it's jobs being at risk right now. Maybe it's a matter of respect. We seem to have difficulty with respect anymore. Maybe it's being attacked or maybe it's a battle we see that we need to go fight. Our country started this way with a revolutionary war. The small American army against the British World Empire. I don't know why we couldn't be the American Empire. You know, the, well, never mind. We don't really have enough to win, do we? Not a major battle. We can't even stop ourselves from sinning. 
We can't get through a whole week without having said something wrong or done something wrong or thought something wrong or, okay, we really can't even get through a whole day. We can't control ourselves, but we, we try and then we sin over and over again and the battle rages. Some days are better than other days, but we always lose, except with Jesus. When you bring Jesus into that equation, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit inside to work on us. And it takes all the strength that we have to fight for righteousness and the grace of Jesus and the strength of the Holy Spirit to be able to build our life and build this kingdom. And if a king is going to war, he goes to win. He doesn't go to lose. He is always out there to win. And his conclusion is, therefore, renounce all that you have to be my disciple. That seems like a lot of cost. The cost is everything you have. Well, you know, what happens if you have a lot? How much does it cost if you've got a lot? Maybe there's a discount. No, it still costs everything. Well, what if I don't have very much? Well, the price is still the same. It costs all that you have. Well, but I don't have very much. Doesn't that mean there's something else I need to do or some other benefit? And the answer is no. It just costs all that you have. So how can the cost be the same? If we all start with different things, how can the cost be the same? How can the cost be everything you've got? Well, the tower is what you make of your life. It's all of your life, and when you're finished, it's done, and you're done. You began to build, and somewhere along the line, you lost your Christianity. Or we're part of a kingdom, and when we build it together, we build our life in Christ. And both of those are kind of the same thing, because as we build our life in Christ, we can't do that without being part of the kingdom of God as well. And so it's building a kingdom, and it's the same thing. It's our spiritual development as we build this kingdom, or we battle and we fight for our life, and the battle is... All of it. It takes all of your life. It doesn't take just a little bit. It's for what we become. It's for respect. It's for trust so that people are able to see that we have those things. That we become someone that is holy and righteous and forgiven. Why should anyone believe us after all? Did we ever do anything right to show them? Anything good? Do we believe the kingdom is even worth it? Is it worth the battle? Is it worth the fight? Is it worth the building? And it is because the kingdom belongs to Jesus. And so we count the cost. So how do you respond to building something that is bigger than you are? Because that's always the case. And how do we respond to a battle that we know we can't win? Well, I think we find this in Scripture all the time. 
And we're able to see this as we look at different stories. I want to look at the life of David here in just a minute. And maybe one of the famous stories that we know about is David and Goliath. David's just a young boy, doesn't have a lot coming into that battle. But he goes to a battle that he knows he can't win. But he goes to fight. Because he has a God that will not let him lose. And so he builds a kingdom for God by doing those kind of things. But David was like us. David sinned. And there are several things that are mentioned. Aren't you glad that somebody isn't writing down the big sins in your life and saying, here, look at this person. Uh, We know what they are. One of the things that David was told not to do is not to have pride. Not to have security in his own army. And so therefore, let's don't count. Well, how many troops do you have? Don't know. It's a bunch. Well, what do you mean you don't know? I mean, Jesus' parable, one's got 10,000. I know I've got 10,000. The other guy's got 20. How do you figure out the odds if you don't even know how many people you have? Well, God said not to. Because it's not about how many people I have. It's about the fact that God is on our side and God is with us. But it just gets to be too much. And so David counts the army. And God confronts him about his sin and gives him some choices about the punishment that's going to be taken. And David takes the idea that he will be three days in the hand of God rather than some of the others. And God's punishment is a plague on the people. And the first thing that happens is 70,000 die Does that let you know how serious your sin is? And it's absolutely going to mess with the numbers that you thought you had before, because that's never going to work out. And the angel of the Lord comes with a sword of fire to Ornan's threshing floor. So the scripture we want to look at is in 1 Chronicles 21. Gad is telling David that he needs to go build an altar there in Ornan's threshing floor. The angel is ready to strike Jerusalem. God only sent one angel, by the way. 70,000, one angel. I mean, the odds are definitely on the side of the angel. Uh, And he's supposed to go and build this altar on Ornan's threshing floor, but he doesn't own the threshing floor, and so he is going to ask if he can get the threshing floor. Ornan sees the angel. He hides along with his four sons. David walks in, and David is there, and he sees David, and he bows before him. And so, starting in verse 22, and David said to Ornan, give me the site of the threshing floor that I may build on it an altar to the Lord. Give it to me at its full price, that the plague may be averted from the people. And Onan said to David, Take it, and let my lord the king do what seems good to him. See, I have given the oxen for burnt offering, the threshing sledges, the wood, and the wheat for a grain offering. I give it all. 
But King David said to Ornan, No, but I will buy them for the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David said to Ornan, Six hundred shekels, or paid Ornan six hundred shekels of gold by weight for the site. And David built there an altar to the Lord and presented burnt offerings and peace offerings and called on the Lord. And the Lord answered him with fire from heaven upon the altar of burnt offering. And the Lord commanded the angel and he put his sword back in his sheath. Not one of the Bible stories we usually tell. But it certainly shows David and what happens when he sins and some of the things that go on there and how important this is. Ornan is ready to give him the threshing floor. That's fine. I'm, uh, you're my king. I would give it to you. I'll give you everything. I'll give you the oxen to sacrifice. I'll, I'll give you the wood to make the fire. I'll, give it, I'll just give it to you. You don't have to pay me. And David's response is, no, I would never do that. I cannot do that. A threshing floor looks something like this. Oxen would walk around. The wheat was put in the middle. And, you know, you have to be able to separate that somehow. And so there's a way in which they would put a sled and they'd drag it around. Or they would, yeah, I don't know how to do wheat either. So you guys just use your imagination. But this is what the threshing floor would be like. And David refuses to take it for free. He pays the 600 shekels of gold. He said, I will not give God something that costs me nothing. Why? People are dying all around him. Does it seem like a good time to haggle over the price? Uh, Probably not. Would God be impressed by what a great deal he got? God, I have this altar, and I know you said to get it. And guess what? I even got it on sale. Bigger than sale, I got it for free. And so aren't you proud of me, the fact that I'm giving you actually that costs me nothing? Because God is always impressed with a good deal, right? Isn't that the way he explained it to Jesus? They're all going to be impressed with what a great deal they're getting. And that isn't the message of the cross at all. It's the fact that Jesus went and paid that much his entire life that is the example for us. And so David built the altar there, and God answered in fire. And the angel puts his sword back in its sheath. Why would he pay for what he can get for free? Would you do that? You really can't get it for free, though. There are some things that happen when we try to get for free. Have you ever tried to order something that's a great price? And when it comes in, you look at it, and the picture looked really good. It looks just exactly like the other one you wanted, and then you find out it's, it's just plastic. It's about a tenth of the size. You get a car, and it's this big. But it was good. It was only 10,000 instead of 25,000. And you're saying, well, maybe not. 
that elusive cost of free. It's cheap. And what you get is cheap. It's the easy way. It takes some cost and commitment to make a difference. When you're asking for forgiveness, don't go cheap. If you stole a million dollars from someone and ruined their reputation and ruined their business and destroyed their family and everything, you say, well, okay, I'll give you back the million dollars. No, (laughs) they're not going to accept that. Are you kidding? What about the rest? Because it's not just about the price. And once you've sinned and the death toll is at 70,000, please don't skimp on the sacrifice. See, I think we don't take our sin seriously, and we don't take our repentance seriously, and so we don't take the cost or the building of a kingdom seriously or the battle for souls seriously. It cannot be cheap or it means nothing. When you try to say something, do a good job, say it well. When you ask your wife to marry you, the usual thing that we would have is a ring, right? And occasionally, back in the olden days, back in Mike's time, (laughs) you could get a ring out of a box of Cracker Jacks. It's a ring, right? It'll fit. We can put it on. And so your fiancé is going to be so impressed with the price. that Man, I got this great deal on this ring. You want to get married? I'm not sure that's the reason to get married. It's because you got a great deal on a ring. And so she, well, what's she going to do with a ring anyway? She's just going to wear it. I mean, how close are people going to look at it? You got a ring on, it's a ring, and you can see, well, yeah, I got a ring. There it is. Looks good. It's not diamond, it's glass. I mean, but they cut glass where it looks really good. You probably can't tell the difference. You have to be a jeweler in order to tell the difference. It looks almost the same. No, please do not ever do that because your marriage is not going to last. What you are giving her is the price of love. Because what she's going to do with that is she's going to show her friends. Look how much he loves me. I got the leftovers from the box of Cracker Jacks. He didn't even give me the Cracker Jacks. There are times when we need to not skimp on the cost. And so you want the best diamond that you can afford. That's what you really want. Because you aren't buying the rock, you're buying a future. And what happens with that is that you wanted to spend the most you could to say, this is what I think This is what I care. When you buy your house, it doesn't take the most expensive house. But why did you buy the house? Because we need a place to live. 
And so what do you get at the end of paying for this house for 30 years? You get 30 years worth of memories. Because it isn't about the price of the house at all. It's the price of what went on inside the house. It's the price of children. It's the price of all those things that go on inside. And it has a little bit of wear on it. But you have all of those memories. It brought safety. It brought security. It brought a place where you belong. And every time you see that house, you go back and go, wow, that's where I live. That's where we live. And when you walk in the door, it feels like home. Can you buy feels like home? No. Why not? It doesn't have a price on it. But if you buy the house, you're hoping that you can build feels like home. When you become a Christian, you're hoping you can build a kingdom of God. You're hoping you can build a future. You're hoping you can build what is that intangible thing that is so much bigger than the price, but the price we would give is what makes all of the difference. See, Jesus taught about the kingdom as a treasure in a field. It's a seed that grows. It's when weeds come in. It's a net full of fish and all of these things. So what does a kingdom cost? Cost one minute at a time. Cost faithful people with allegiance to a king, and they become part of that kingdom. And the cost of your car. What happened to that car? First of all, you painted it green, apparently. And all the tires and all the gas that you've been through, you get a hundred thousand miles worth of adventure. It isn't about the machine. It's about all the places you went in it and all the conversations you had in it. And it's about all those things that were part of taking someone else somewhere or them taking you somewhere of all those relationships and you've gone a thousand places and all the fun you've had in it. And yeah, it gets a little bit worn after a while, but wow, that's what you really wanted. Because that's what you're trying to get. And so the cost of Christianity is really about how good do you want it to be. The benefit of a Christian is the love and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. It's finding your self-control. It's learning to be faithful. It's about great relationships is the cost is not what you pay for. The cost is just the entrance into the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit. The price is just so that you can be part of it. It isn't like you paid for the love of God and God owes you, but you gained access to the love of God, and now you have a chance to build it and to battle against anything that would get in the way so that what is developed from there is a kingdom, a kingdom of people 
that we are one body in Christ as we build together and as we fight together and as we are members of one another, as we act and worship together and become part of a kingdom. And if you've ever been part of a kingdom and part of a church where it's not about how the building looks, it's about the relationship you have when you walk in the door. You know what that feels like. That feels like home. That feels like a place where I belong. That feels like a place where I meet God. Jesus paid the price. Our response is repentance and baptism. And then we take up our cross. And there's a lifetime of grace for us and a lifetime of grace that we would give to other people where we become like him and we follow him in building his kingdom one day at a time. And it's what we become because Jesus fills us with his Holy Spirit. He fills us with grace. He guarantees there's life after death and a resurrection from the dead and heaven. But that's all a long ways off. At least it seems like it's a long ways off. And it changes your life for the better. Because what you invest and the cost of this kingdom is all I have. It's everything. And what it gives you back is all eternity. It's everything. So we live by faith and we watch the blessing of God unfold. Today, maybe you are struggling with that concept of kingdom and you're struggling with the fact that I don't feel like I belong, I don't feel like I fit. Is just not, doesn't seem like it's important to me. I heard a story one time of a preacher who was asked, you know, I, I don't get it. I, I'm not feeling church. People don't seem that interested. I'm just not interested. Your sermons are okay, but they're not that good. I, you know, I just, and the preacher said to him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put $500 every week in the collection plate. God says, I can't do that. He says, no, seriously. We'll talk in a couple months. Well, he started putting $500 in the collection plate, and it's amazing how when you invest in something, how much better the sermon gets. There's a bucket on your way out, by the way. When we invest in things, when we pay the price, when the cost is something that is something that costs us, and we do not go before God with nothing, then it makes a huge difference in what we have and in who we are. May God bless you today. If we're able to help you in getting this kingdom, in building the kingdom in your life, would you come while we stand and sing?